Well, hello everyone, and we are meeting again, and I know that many of you are choosing to listen to the podcast, which I am very grateful and humbled for, but this lesson in particular, if ever you need a lesson of hope, if you want to see the contrast between selfish and selfless, if you want to see the difference between an unbeliever and a believer, and see the consequences and the results of both, I know this is the lesson that you will be in awe of. It will, it will probably, like it did me, it will help you to see that there's always two ways to look at things. There's always two ways to face things. And, and we are in the middle of facing something that none of us has, have ever faced before. And in, in the scriptures, we, we are finding that we can face it one of two ways. We can face it with fear and with our human nature taking over and, and all of the, the things that our natural human self wants to take us. Or we can choose to go to an almighty God who continuously says, fear not, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I have overcome. But we need to choose to put our eyes on him. And, and that's what my prayer is. It's been today, especially before I do this lesson, that you will see that you have such a choice today. You have such a, a choice to be able to go to God's word and hear him speak to you in the most uncertain times but to hear him speak with such confidence and with such assurance, we are his. We belong to him. And even though earthly things can touch our body, if you want to break out in song right now and sing it as well with my soul, I give you full permission because when you know that all is well with your soul, that's how you get through a day like today. That's how you get through a night like tonight. That's how you get through tomorrow and the next day. There isn't anything that can touch your soul when you've been to the cross of Christ. In this chapter, this isn't coincidence that this chapter was right now in our lesson. At that at this particular time, we are going to be looking at Jesus and what he came to do. And so come with me, join with me in John chapter 19. And here John, because he was watching this, he, he could see he knew what was happening, and even though maybe he was far off or, or wherever, he could tell that this was true, and this is what Jesus was going through. And he had to make this walk from, from Annas to Caiaphas to Pilate, then to Herod. And we said last week that I brought you to Luke 23. I'm sure you laughed because it took me a while, but, but I knew it was in Luke 23 where, where Luke then tells how, how the next step from Pilate, Jesus went to Herod. And then from Herod, Herod then brought 
Jesus back to Pilate. And that's where we are now as we start the 19th chapter. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, you had questions that you answered that I wrote, and we were you're following the lesson. And my first question was, why is it true when you start this chapter? Why is it true that if life were fair, we wouldn't have a savior today? I wanted you to think about that because if life were fair, there's no way a perfect person like Jesus would have been flogged. There couldn't have been anything, and I don't want to get morbid, but I want you to get yourself in this story and know the pain and the suffering. I'm telling you, a flogging was a whipping with a with with metal or some kind of hard shell like ends and they would go into the back or wherever it landed and it would tear flesh and the reason why they would scourge him or flog him like this whenever anybody had that tremendous of a punishment it was because they needed to be punished for a wrongdoing. Also, it was for a hope of a gaining of a confession because it was so brutal that many would finally just come out and confess. And the third reason for a, a scourging or a flogging was to weaken the criminal so much that he would die quickly. And many, many didn't even make it because they died during the, the flogging. It was that, that was that brutal. So if, if life were fair, we wouldn't have this piece of scripture. We wouldn't have a perfect person going through this kind of unfairness and this kind of brutality. And yet, because he was willing to do that, you and I have been redeemed. He paid the price. And that's what I want you to get into before we even get farther into this. I want you to know the price that was paid, the unfairness that happened for you and for me so that we could have a Savior. Once they put the crown of thorns on his head and they clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. It's like if you were there, if you and I were there, we would watch Pilate come out and in his, in his grand way look at the crowd and say, look, I'm going to bring him out here again. 
and I want you to take a good look at him, and I want you to know I find no fault in him. So after Pilate said that, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, okay, here's, here's the man, here's the man. Now, after a flogging, after being struck in the face, after having the crown of thorns twisted on his head, and that robe, Pilate is, is trying to go after the heartstrings of these people, saying, look at this man. Look how broken he is. Look at it. Look at what could he possibly have done? Or what harm can he possibly do? As soon as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him. See, I think Pilate was going after because he he knew Jesus wasn't guilty. So he was going after um don't you feel sorry for him? Look at him. Don't you have any compassion for this broken man? And maybe there was a few, maybe there was a few that, that did feel sorry for Jesus. But I'll tell you, the chief priests and their officials saw him. And what did they do? They shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you, you do it then. You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Because he claimed to be the son of God. I think this this took Pilate to a whole new fear level. When they said that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, there was something inside of Pilate that was pricking his conscience, telling him that this could very well be. What in the world are you doing? Because when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate asked? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Pilate was trying to throw his power and his weight around a little bit, saying to Jesus, answer me, give, give me something so that I have more to go on, that I can have more to, to get you released. Give me something. Where have you come from? And Jesus wouldn't answer. And so Pilate says, don't you realize I, I could free you? Or I can crucify you. And Jesus answered. Now he answers. Isn't that so? What a lesson to learn. To 
always make sure that we are under the Spirit's guidance even when we open our mouth because there is a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. And Jesus knew exactly when to speak and when not to. And here he chose to speak and he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Boy, I wonder what Pilate thought about that when Jesus looked at him. And with all confidence, even though he was a broken man, and I'm sure he was so weak by this time, he, I'm sure when he looked at Pilate, Pilate could see something when Jesus said, you would have no power unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, Jesus went on to say, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, I don't know if you stopped there and you thought, what does he mean? I mean, Pilate is, is going to let them crucify. He's going to give them permission to crucify an innocent man because he was afraid. He was afraid of his job. He was afraid of the people. And yet, and yet, what does he mean when, what does Jesus mean when he says that the one who handed me over is even more guilty? He's, he's got a greater sin against him. What does it mean? I did some thinking, and I, I just, I want to throw this out to you. I, I found there were so many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. So, so many that gave the Judas, that gave the Jews, that gave the chief priests, that gave the, all of these these people an opportunity. All the Jews that studied the Old Testament, that, that took such pride in knowing the law, they are going to be held to a greater standard because they did know they had every prophecy. L let me just read to you. In fact, I found so many, I could just go on and on. But that just proved to me that these people chose, when you do not want to see the truth, you won't. Because they had so much that they could have gone back to and realized how it was so prophesied perfectly. Every detail Genesis 3, right after the fall, he would be born of a woman. Micah 5, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, he'd be born of a virgin. Genesis 12, he'd come from the line of Abraham. Genesis 17, he'd be a descendant of Isaac. Numbers 24, he would be a descendant of Jacob. Genesis 49, it'd be from the tribe of Judah. 2 Samuel 7, he'd be an heir of the throne of David. Psalm 2, he'd, he'd be, the Messiah would be declared the Son of God. Isaiah 11, called, he would be called the Nazarene. Psalm 2, he would be called 
king. Psalm 41, he would be betrayed. Psalm 35, he would be falsely accused and hated without cause. Isaiah 50, he would be spat upon and struck. Psalm 35, he would be hated without cause. Psalm 8, he'd be praised by children. Isaiah 61, he'd heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 78, he would speak in parables. Psalm 69, he'd drink vinegar. Psalm 22, his hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22, also, he'd be mocked and ridiculed. Numbers 9, no bones would be broken. Isaiah 53, he'd be crucified with criminals. Psalm 16, he would be resurrected from the dead. Psalm Psalm 24, he would ascend into heaven. Psalm 68, he would be seated at God's right hand. Isaiah 53, he would be sacrificed for sin. Psalm 22, he'd be forsaken by God. Psalm 109, he would pray for his enemies. Zechariah 12, soldiers would pierce his side. Isaiah 53, he'd be buried with the rich. Isn't that something? I mean, I just quickly said some, but look at the details. And when we see this story fulfilled, so many of those prophecies, they knew. So I think that's why Jesus said to Pilate that the one who handed him over, whether it was Judas or whether it was the officials or the chief priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees, whoever, whoever, whatever Jew was handing him over, they would be held to higher standing standard because they were, they knew. They knew better. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. I mean, that has a little touch of blackmail there. I mean, we'll tell people that if you say that he's a king, then he... Then he, he, then you oppose Caesar. You must oppose Caesar. Then, and oh, that's a one thing Pilate did not want to be guilty of opposing Caesar. So when you he heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha which means a higher raised place. So Pilate was raised above the people sitting there making this verdict. Here's your king, Pilate said. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Now, it was the day of the preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Now, sometimes, and I don't want to, I don't want to take too much time with this because I don't think it's really that big a deal, but um, sometimes the gospels or what they, they will say things a little different or they, they will, um, 
they will just maybe, it, it looks like the Bible's contradicting itself, or there's a mistake, or somebody's got it wrong, but that's not the case. And so when you look at the that sixth hour, I want you to see the key word is, it's about the sixth hour. It was between the third and sixth hour that all this was transpiring, that Jesus was then even, was going to be put on the cross. So don't get hung up if you thought, oh, I thought he was crucified at the third hour. Just kind of know that, that when they're telling this story, I don't think they're looking at their watches, do you? Just know that between the third and the sixth hour, all of this was happening. They shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. The Jewish chief priests were saying, we have no king but Caesar. When I just read to you that there was a prophecy that stated that he would be king. In Psalm 2, verse 6, he is king. He would be called king. They knew better. And here, this is what I meant when I started. This is what it looks like when you choose not to believe, when you choose not to hear the truth. You're so caught up. They were so mad that Jesus did not free them from the Romans, that he didn't do what they wanted him to do. They, he didn't make them comfortable and happy like they wanted I don't think much has changed today. So often Jesus gets blamed and he's supposed to make things better. And why would things like this happen to us? And all these kinds of questions and he gets blamed. And I'm telling you, we have got to stop questioning and start trusting that an almighty God knows exactly what he's doing. And he is king but he was willing to sacrifice himself for you and for me. But when you don't want to see it, look what you're able to say. We have no king but Caesar. Verse 16, finally, finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge. I don't think they were too nice either. I'm sure they weren't. They, they probably grabbed him, and I'm sure the pain and, and this wincing that I'm sure that he was expressing from the flogging, they didn't care. And all I could picture, all I could picture right now is, as they grabbed him was the lamb, the lamb that the scripture talks about. The lamb of God is now ready for sacrifice. Yeah, the Lamb of God is now ready. And you think of all the Old Testament teachings, all the yearly Passover sacrifices, and you think of all the lambs that were sacrificed, and that was all symbolic in preparation of the ultimate Lamb, and he is now ready for that. And it's at the Passover time don't you just marvel at, at the details of how this all came about? Jesus, you talk about Jesus' timing being perfect. 
He didn't go to the cross a second early or a second late. And the same with us. We will not leave this earth a second early or a second late. His timing is perfect. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in America is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with him two others, one on one side and Jesus in the middle. There again, I don't even think that's coincidence. I, they might have they might have just put him up thinking, well, I'll put this one here, this one here, with no thought of it. It's just the way it turned out. But when you think about that, nothing is in vain with Jesus. You can't help but watch what transpires with these two criminals. And how Jesus is always in the middle. He will always be in the middle. He will always be between God the Father and, and, and us. So that when God looks at us, he sees perfection. He sees the blood of his son. He sees the sacrifice. Jesus will always be in the middle there. And in the middle here, you see one one criminal that chooses to believe and one who chooses not to believe. And there again, that is such an example of what Jesus taught while he lived on this earth. There's only two choices. You either believe I am who I am and that there is salvation in no one or nothing else other than me, or you can think that you're self-sufficient and you don't even need any of this, and all your eggs are in the human basket. Here in this site, you watch, you watch these two start to mock him, and then you watch one that just keeps going and keeps keeps going and then for some reason the one on the other side is touched and his heart is softened and he believes and Jesus said today you will be with me in paradise did he live a life that was worthy <laughs> of course not did any of us live a life that was worthy of salvation? Of course not. But Jesus was willing to take this, this criminal. He was willing to take you. He was willing to take me. But what a picture as we watch. He, he always says there's wheat and there's tears. There's believers and there's unbelievers. This is such an example, such a visual. Both had the equal choice. Jesus was in the middle. And God so loved both of them that he gave his son that whoever, and the one chose the whoever, believed in him and would not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus said many times to the one, whoever chooses not to believe in me will, will suffer eternal death in hell. Pilate had noticed Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and this sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. 
chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Oh, they were just so furious. They couldn't even stand this sign. And then this is where I look at Pilate. And I, I hear him say, what I have written, I have written. Down deep, I believe this man knew. I don't know what he did with it. I don't know if he, he repented. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say. But uh, right here, you could tell that there was something. He knew Jesus was who he was. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them in four squares, one for each of them, and the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And that, too, is from Psalm 22. The divided, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I mean, look at, look at that. I mean, how can you deny that? If they knew Psalm 22, I mean, there, there were those four soldiers each getting a piece of Jesus' clothing, and then that, the undergarment, they, they said, no, we're not going to. We're not going to. We're going to cast lots for that one. And you know what I found out about that is that every high priest wore an undergarment that had no seam. And Jesus, he was the ultimate high priest, the goal between, between God and man. Again, not a coincidence. All details being meticulously fulfilled. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. I don't know if you stopped there and just had a, had a second to ponder that, thinking, how in the world could she, how could she take that? How could she ever go through something like that? How, how could she watch her child be so brutally flogged and then crucified. And I went back, I went back to Luke 2. And I, I couldn't help but see how when Simeon, remember Simeon when Jesus was being, was being um, circumcised and when he was being blessed, he, they went to the temple for the rituals at eight days and, and they met a man who had been waiting and waiting to see the promised one. And he said these words, in Luke chapter 22, verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I wonder if Mary, remember how she 
pondered all these things. I wonder when she, when she watched this, could that have come to her mind when Simeon said, and a sword will pierce your heart too. This had to have been an ultimate suffering for Mary to watch. And then look at when Jesus saw his mother there. disciple whom he loved. See, this was the second time. Remember I said that John is, he calls himself the one Jesus loved because I think at that upper room experience, the washing of the feet, I think that's when John really saw Jesus and he saw how Jesus came to love him with all of his love. And John captured that. And that was the first time that John mentioned the disciple Jesus loved. And then he mentions it the second time here at the cross where he says the disciple whom he loved standing nearby said, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, why? I mean, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. We know that. So what here? This was so precious. This was so personal. Jesus and John... Because they understood each other. Jesus wanted John taking care of his mother. I thought that was just beautiful. Later, knowing that all was now completed. I mean, we, we wish it would have went that fast, but we know that from, from noon to three, Jesus suffered in anguish. But at the end, he, he knew, he knew that all was now completed. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled. See, another one, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on it, on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, again, um, it don't want to read too fast because when you see that he put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, that is the plant. If you recall, you recall when David himself in Psalm 51, I knew I had heard of hyssop before. And I remember in, when David realized his disobedience and his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, when Nathan finally made him aware of what he had done, Psalm 51 came out. And part of the psalm said, Cleanse me with hyssop so I can be clean and wash me so I can become whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was known. The hyssop was known as a cleansing agent. It was it was considered when somebody was was cleansed with hyssop, it was like a ritual to remove sin. 
So even that, when they put the sponge on a hyssop plant, that's what Jesus came to do, to give cleansing and remove sin so we then could have the hope that we have, that we have a future, that we have salvation in his name. And he lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And again, I don't want to be so brutal here. And so, um, oh, it's, it's so terrible, but the, real, the realism has got to come out. The I thirst, the reason why he wanted to have some liquid is because he wanted to make one final statement. And he had to push himself up enough to be able to get air in his lungs so that in and some moisture to his throat so that he was able to say the words because he couldn't wait to say these three words. This is what he gave, he has come to do and it is finished. When he said it is finished, what does that mean? What does it mean? What was finished? He paid it all. All to him we owe. He paid it all. Just think, promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, it's finished. He did it. Sacrifices and ceremonies, all those of the Old Testament of the priesthood, finished. Satisfaction of God's justice, finished. Power over Satan, sin, and death, finished. I would have loved to insert it. And of course, I don't want to add to scripture, but if I could, I would have loved to have put my own personal words after it is finished. Jesus wins. And because he wins, I win. You win. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Oh, you can't miss that. You better underline that one. He gave up his spirit. Ever since we, we were introduced to him in the garden and, and they come with all the detachment of Roman soldiers, three to six hundred, and, and all the swords and all the... Who are they kidding? Who are they trying? What are they trying to do? All of this, all of this has been because he was willing. He gave himself up for you and me. Now is the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. See, now the Jews 
asked for the bodies to be taken down because they didn't want them up over the Passover. Because do you know what the Romans would usually do? They would leave the bodies up for animals and, and decay to take over. Isn't that just so terrible? That's what they did. Anybody who was going to be crucified, they were left there for animals to tear apart or to just rot. But the Jews wanted the bodies down, and so they asked to have the legs broken to hurry it along. Soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man, and that had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, in verse 35, look at the man, the man who saw it. This is John talking. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his, and his testimony is true, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Do you realize that in Numbers 9, I said it to you before in the prophecies, but in Numbers 9, when a lamb, when a lamb was to be sacrificed for the Passover, it was not to have bones broken. You could, not, you could not break the bones of the lamb. That was already in Numbers 9. And here we have Jesus whose bones were not to be broken, and they weren't. Oh, I don't know. There could be some medical and even maybe some more um, spiritual truth to the, the spear and the water and the blood coming out. But all I could think of, maybe being a singer, I don't know, all I could think of, because maybe as a kid I didn't even realize what this song meant. But when I was studying this week, and I, and I, I pictured the, the soldiers fearing Jesus, and then this blood and water coming out, all I could think of was rock of ages left for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. The power and the guilt of sin, Jesus cured us. It was a double cure from sin's power and from sin's guilt. Rock of ages cleft for me. Oh, may, may, may I forever let me hide myself in thee. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. No one, uh, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture said, they will look on the one they have pierced. They will look on the one. That's from Zechariah 12. 
later Joseph of Arimathea as Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Sometimes you think, well, is that, is that a good thing that he kept it secret? I mean, should we keep it secret? And, and you know, with, with that kind of negative, negative, being so negative, I better put it that way, with that kind of negative attitude that was going on, with that kind of um, killing attitude that was going on, with absence of all compassion, with all sense, actually. I mean, you've got these, they, they were crazy people. They were just so, they were so consumed to kill this man. They weren't even thinking straight. And so, maybe that was why this disciple had to just keep it to himself, keep that private love in his own heart at that time. But boy, when, when it was time, he sure did let it go, didn't he? After Jesus died, I don't think he cared what anybody said, what anybody thought, what anybody was going to do to him. He made quite a stand. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. And John, John just has to help us remember, you know, back in, in John 3, he was the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And both these men brought a mixture. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Oh, we, we know that 75 pounds of this had to show two things, that we have a couple wealthy men here but we also have Nicodemus, especially here. It said he's the one that brought it. He, they have such love for Jesus. They have such love. So this was a visual that he, he had to, at this time, they were both so ready to proclaim their belief in Jesus. And one takes the body down, and the other one brings 75 pounds of spices they don't care who's watching. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. That had to be a terrible job. From the crown of thorns to the flogging to the hit in the face to the carrying the cross to the nail prints in the hands, the, the nails in the hands and the feet. He had to, with the gruesome hours on that cross, you just try to picture what his body looked like. In fact, Isaiah said it was not recognizable. And so when it said they took his body and wrapped it with love, with love, with these spices, this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. We know that Jesus looked at Mary when she poured that expensive perfume and when Judas said, oh, why didn't this, why wasn't this money given? And, and Jesus said, she's preparing my body for burial. 
all these things can't, you can't help but remember what Jesus said. Mary started the process out of love and commitment to Jesus. Joseph and Nicodemus, they were showing their love and their commitment to Jesus. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid, they laid Jesus there. So, what a lesson, huh? Somehow when you go through this lesson, you look at all that's going on in the world, and you think, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being who you are, for being my savior, for being my assurance, for being my king, for knowing that you're preparing a place for me and I have an eternity that I, can, I will be spending with you. Such assurance. Thank you, Jesus, for shouting, it is finished. You completed the task. It was a conqueror's call. And because of your conquering call, because you were willing, I can say that I am more than even, I'm even more than a conqueror. Because there is nothing, there is nothing that can take your love from me. Nothing can separate me from your sacrifice and my acceptance and the bond that we have. You remain in me and I remain in you. Somehow that puts everything in perspective and I am grateful for John 19. And yes, I believe because yes, you were innocent. I believe because of your great dignity during all of this suffering. I believe because of the manner of death that you had to face. I believe because of the title that was on top of the cross. I believe because they gambled for your clothes. I believe because of the love you had for your mother. I believe because you cried it is finished. I believe because you peacefully gave up your spirit. And I believe because I know you died, but I know that we have two more lessons that we know that, yes, this was Friday, and I believe, but Sunday's coming. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that John wrote the details Thank you that we were able to see the past prophecies so intricately fulfilled. We believe, and we know you can see that in our heart, and because we believe, you have promised us. You've promised us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You've promised us a future. Father, may we st-
stand on those promises. We pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life worth living even in today's living. Amen.